and welcome to Let's Talk Business UK's premier programme for current and future entrepreneurs. I'm Alan Coote on the programme this week. Significantly less than half of businesses which have a social media account use it because they say it's too time consuming to keep in touch with just a few followers. But what if you had many hundreds, thousands or even hundreds of thousands of followers? Surely it'll be worth it then. How though do you grow your following on social media? Well, we have a man standing by to tell us. I know the phrase starting a business is like going on a journey, but in another of our startup series, we discover this is literally the case. Josh has this week's insight. What have you got this week? Two items this week. We look at one trick to be 50% more productive and we look at a much less stressful way to conduct your life. Can't wait for that. And how much do we care if a product is recommended to us by someone who has actually bought and used it or just say that they like it. There's news of a twist, which I'm sure will change our perception. All of that coming up. In a recent straw poll we conducted, around 95% of small businesses say they have a social media profile. Less impressive, though, was that only 40% were regularly active on either LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter. The evidence is if your business isn't using social media, it will be missing out on new customers and, importantly, keeping in touch with existing ones. But what if you've been putting it off because your social media profile has very few followers. So spending any time on a handful of people seems like a waste of your very valuable time. How do you grow a following? Now, if you want to know anything about social media, it turns out you need to ask someone who's under 25. Mitchell Stewart runs a company called Inferno Media. He's under 25. And he helps companies attract new customers through social media. Mitchell, convince us then that social media is really worth the effort. Word of mouth now is very much on digital and national and local businesses use social media to connect with their existing audience and new audience as well. The ability to post something on Facebook and Twitter and to engage with your audience, maybe it could be a discount in your shop, for example, or a latest offer or event. The ability to connect with them in, in real time is very powerful. What you're telling me then is, okay, I need to build up this audience because I'm more able then to communicate with people who might be my customers. Correct, yeah. How do I do that? It comes by two elements. There's an organic side and there's a paid side. As a lot of people may know, Facebook is a very strong business model and the way to gain further exposure is to do basically paid advertising so you give them a small amount of money um, to a large amount of money and they basically prioritize you through your competitors and will display ads to your perfect audience with organic it's all about content is key putting shareable and content that is going to be shared within the friends and the audience of the people you're targeting is this the same twitter and and linkedin are they different approaches needed there is slightly different. Every platform has got a different sort of ad buying setup and an all sort of organic, but it does start with the content. If it's shareable and likable content, you're going to gain a lot more further exposure than if it wasn't organic and uh, shareable content. So you mentioned two things, the advertising and then the organic. Let's do the advertising first. What do you mean by an advert? I'm presuming it's not, I've got great ice cream at my ice cream parlour today, come on by, or is it? Yeah, I mean... There's, there's, no rights and, there's no rights and wrongs. It, it changes for every single different business. In terms of the ice cream cake, I think, one, it would be great to promote the ice cream place as, as an actual destination to visit, whether you're promoting to kids or to dates on a Saturday night. You can target your audience depending on, on who you, you wish to achieve in your business. In terms of setting up the ads, it is quite simple. You can go on to the back end of Facebook and you can literally give a couple of pounds under what they call a boost and target that to your demographic, your age range you're looking to target and their interests. 
So the interest could be, for example, someone that you know wants to eat out on, on a regular basis. Um, that could be really powerful. For every pound that you spend on advertising on one of these social media platforms, you sure. should be able to check to make sure you're getting a multiple of that back. Correct, yeah. Um, there's a lot of call to action and quantifiable results, so you can measure how many people the post reached, how many likes, shares and comments. You can also measure how much traffic goes onto your website. You can also take that step further and work out how many people complete a registration or a purchase on your website to give you a strong ROI for your Facebook advertising. And what about that organic that you mentioned? How does that work? Organically, you can post things on Facebook and the Facebook algorithms and Twitter algorithms will display that content to people that think they're going to be relevant to that content. And when they like it, when they share it, that will share in their friends and audiences newsfeed to build up your organic reach. There's obviously a return on effort in the round. So that's money and time and people and everything else to do this. How many people would I need to really have as followers or as LinkedIn contacts or Facebook friends to really make an impact? And is part of my strategy building that up first or do I just go, right, I'm going to do some advertising and content and hope it grows that way? That's a really good point. Um, I always say to all our sort of clients and business associates, is quality, not quantity. Yes, it's fantastic having a massive audience, but if those audience aren't relevant to your target market or interest in your business, theoretically, it's pointless. So for me, it's quality, not quantity. Anything from starting from a couple hundred followers. If you think if you had a, a mail list and you put sent a letter to 200 people on the, by post, that would be effective. Essentially, you're doing that social media for 200 people for free. People do say to me often, oh, I've got such a small following, but you know that's 200 people that can you can communicate for free or small paid advertising on a daily and instant basis. What are the strategies other than? On Twitter and Instagram, for example, you can do what they call a follow-back ratio. So you follow people and you hope that they follow back. Yes, it's very time-consuming, but if you're targeting the right people, it can be quite effective. On Facebook, for example, on organic, you can actually upload your email database into the back end of Facebook to encourage them to like your page. It's a good way of growing your Facebook business page very quickly for free. Ah, so you can use your contact, your email contact database, your CRM, stick that into Facebook and and away you go. I noticed a little tweak that LinkedIn, you can actually download your LinkedIn contacts and then you could probably feed them around, could you not, into Facebook? Correct, yeah, and a lot of sales guys and business development guys will add hundreds of people a day on LinkedIn purely because it gets that personal email addresses. And once I've got those personal email addresses, you're completely right, you can extract them, you can upload the back end of Facebook or Twitter and, and market them through that funnel. Ah, so now we're going from a few hundred people to tens, uh, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands. What then can you do once you've got those bigger numbers? So once you've got a bigger audience, you can monetize that audience. You can display ads to them or, or on an organic basis as well, um, the latest offers and information. You can also send that traffic onto your website and you can monitor the whole traffic from start to finish. So you can see the user came from Facebook, they went on my website, and then they brought something for fifteen ninety nine, and you can monitor that, that whole process. Okay, sounds time-consuming to do all that. As a single entrepreneur, a single business owner, how much time a week would I need to apply myself and my time to doing social media? 
I suppose to answer the question, it's a bit like how long is a piece of string. However, I thought you were um, going to say that. <laughs> sure. um, it all depends on your, on your goals or objectives. I would personally say start maybe to do half an hour to a couple of hours a week. Look at the results and look how time consuming it is to create content. And once the business builds and more people are tweeting in, messaging in, the time required will go up. And hopefully it will get to a point where hundreds of people are messaging in a day and maybe you know you have to employ someone in-house to or out-house to facilitate that workload. And to make a step change from going from those few hundred to a few thousand, it's going to take obviously time as well as effort. You've mentioned a couple of hours a week. It sounds to me as though that wouldn't get me very far very quickly. Am I wrong or, or is it this, this, this magical thing, the handle that, that one can turn that I'm not aware of? Yeah, I mean, all right to a certain extent, it just comes back to the goals and objectives of that business. If you're a small sandwich shop or a small boutique retailer, you wouldn't need tens of thousands. You know, a couple of thousand people to engage on a daily and weekly basis would be very effective. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you're a national brand and, and you've got to cover a national presence, you need to make sure that grows very fast. So you've got to invest that time, resources and effort to get up to those large numbers. Mitchell, thank you very much for that. It really is very interesting indeed. And you can find out more on our website, letstalkbusinessonline.com, on how to get hold of Mitchell. Over the past couple of years or so, we have built up a colossal amount of information, tips and advice from lots of experts in their fields, all to help you on your road to running a successful business. We want to make this available to as many of you as possible, so we've created dozens and dozens of videos which are now up on our Let's Talk Business YouTube channel. There's links to the Let's Talk Business YouTube channel on our website, of course, but as they say in all good commercials, that's not all. We're saving you the trouble of having to check for updates, All you need to do is pop your email address into the Let's Talk Business website and we'll deliver to your inbox on a Tuesday and Thursday all the latest updates for you. It could not be simpler. I think you'll agree. This is Alan Coop from Let's Talk Business along with Joshua Alex is in the studio with me, I'm pleased to say. It's been a very busy week this week. I feel that your week has been far busier than my week though. Do you know, I'd like to say that is almost always true. I know, I do work hard sometimes. (laughs) Definitely, yes, you're right. Anyway, let's move on. Do you remember your uh, holiday that you had? Uh, It was actually a bit of a tour. You went to Canada a little while back. Yes, fantastic holiday, actually. We flew into Vancouver and then we drove for a week across the Rockies from Vancouver to Calgary. And then we caught a flight from Calgary to Toronto and we had some relatives there. We stayed with them for a week. There was a reason I asked that. I'm interested in your holiday, by the way, but there is a reason I asked that. Is that when you went on holiday... Did you do everything that you expected to do in the couple of weeks that you had? Well, there were lots of things that we didn't get done, of course, but perhaps on another trip we'll get them done. Now, there's a point. It's much like starting your business, as it turns out, your trip across Canada. Because what people do when they are faced with a lot of things to do and challenges when starting a business, they try to build Rome effectively. And then time just marches on. Before you know it, you spent three months, three years or however long without hardly any customers buying your product. I know a lot of people that started a business, or at least they said it, and two or three years later, they're still at the startup stage. So thinking about this a little bit, a bit like your road trip across Canada, instead of thinking about the tasks that you need to do, think about a set amount of time to do a number of tasks. So what I'm saying to you is that like you had a flight into Canada, you also had a flight out of Canada, and it was, what was it, two weeks? Two weeks apart, yes. 
perfect. Well, that seems to be a very reasonable number, as it turns out. Two weeks to do a set number of tasks. So, back to businesses then. If you are a startup, what one needs to do is to take a number of tasks and put them into, let's say, a two-week window. And for each of those tasks, you allocate a priority. So, the things that you would really, really, really like to do. In fact, the things that you must do, like get the flight home and maybe see the relatives as well. And then there's the next level of tasks, which are the shoulds, the things that you really should do. Maybe you should go to do some shopping and make sure you've got some presents to come home with. And then the things that you could do if you had enough time. I guess that Niagara Falls was on your list. It was definitely on the list, and we did actually get around to doing that. Was it a must, a should, or a could? It was definitely a must. You can't go all that way and not not see Niagara Falls. Okay, but I bet there were a few things on there that were further down on that list. There were definitely a few things that we didn't have time for, yeah. And there is my point. Your startup is really just like the journey that Josh had across Canada. Now, there is a little acronym to remember about this. It's called MOSCO. M-O-S-C-O-W. Moscow. Musts, shoulds, coulds, and won'ts. Moscow. Very clever. Just to remember that. And if you stitch all these little time boxes together, maybe each one is just like Josh's trip, two weeks long then eventually you'll make a lot of progress. And some of the things that you thought were really important right at the start turn out not to be important at all, in which case they can be forgotten. And there we are. That's how to start a business using the Moscow rules. That's fantastic. So you're saying that if I go back to Canada, I should perhaps use Moscow rules, musts, shoulds, coulds and won'ts to organise all the things that I want to do whilst I'm over there. That is a very good way of organising your holiday. I wasn't actually suggesting that, but it sounds not unreasonable to me. In fact, you could go back several times and you could have different musts, shoulds and coulds. It's a big place. There's lots to do there. I'm sure I could. So if you want to know a little bit more about that, you can go to our website, letstalkbusinessonline.com. And it forms part of our video startup series. In fact, it's called the Ultimate Business Startup Guide. Again, more information on our website, letstalkbusinessonline.com. And if you go there, we've got a little voucher code that you can use to uh, save a little bit of money as well. Again, letstalkbusinessonline.com. You're listening to Let's Talk Business, the UK's premier programme for current and future entrepreneurs. I'm Alan Coote. Still to come on the programme, Josh has this week's insight. What have you got there? Two things for you this week. We look at one trick to be 50% more productive and we look at a much less stressful way to conduct your life. I'm looking forward to that. And how much do we care if a product is recommended to us by someone who has actually bought and used it or just say that they like it? There's news of a twist which will change your perception. That's coming up. I'm pleased to say that Josh is in the studio with me now. And I haven't told you this, Josh, that since you've been doing the new Insight feature, it's got a lot of great feedback. It's been really good. People are liking it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, let's change that. What have you got this week? Well, as we all know, setting goals are easy, but reaching them is far more difficult. But what if there was one easy way to increase your motivation by up to 50%? Now that... I could be really interested in. Well, a recent study has focused on exercise and has found that focusing on losing a reward rather than gaining one makes people more motivated to exercise. 
So tell us a bit more about this study then. The research shows that with exactly the same financial reward up for grabs, there are markedly different levels of motivation depending on how the financial reward is framed. In the study, they compared workplace rewards for physical activity. Some participants were given $42 and then had $1.40 taken away from them for every day they didn't exercise. And another group were told they would simply receive $1.40 for every day they did exercise. Both of these were compared with a control group who didn't receive any rewards. So this is like a stick and a carrot then, if you like. So you get the stick, which is taking the money off, and the carrot is sort of having the reward. Yeah, it is a bit like a a stick and a carrot. Financially, both groups' reward amounted to the same financial gain, but the first framing emphasises losing something and the second framing emphasises gaining something. They found that the fear of loss increased the amount people achieved their goals by up to 50%. Great. So what does this mean in the workplace then? Well, the findings of this study prove that the idea of losing reward is far more powerful than gaining a reward. This information could certainly help large employers better incentivise and encourage their staff to participate in wellness programmes, for example. Or you could start off with a very high salary, right? Or then you could get money deducted for turning up late, not participating in the team meetings, which a lot of businesses have, and maybe not even taking part in some of the wellness things that you mentioned. That's certainly a radical way of looking at it. I think it would work, but it's what the study says works. It's it, um, hands up here. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah, OK, well, I think we'll leave the radical idea right there then. What else have we got this week? Well, we all know someone who likes to agree and conform with others, no matter what they really think. Mm, yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm sure on some level we're all guilty of it. That's me. <laughs> admitting that the latest Hollywood blockbuster was amazing, even though privately thinking it was awful, or agreeing with your colleagues that Tim, the new office guy, is weird, even though we secretly think he's not that bad. It turns out that disagreeing with others activates certain areas of our brains that are linked to mental distress. So I go along with this, actually. It sometimes is the fact just to keep your mouth shut for an easy life. And the study's proving this, is it? That's right. And this might go some way to explaining why some of us can't help but agree all the time. It means that we don't have to experience the psychological discomfort of disagreeing. This agreeing with others is somewhat of a social default known as the truth bias. It's where we tend to believe others without feeling the need to check their facts each time. Relationships with friends and co-workers would be somewhat strained if you felt the need to constantly check the veracity of their statements. People don't like to accuse others of not telling the truth or lying because it creates an uncomfortable situation. Brain scans of participants in the study showed that when people disagree with others, there was a lot of activity in the parts of the brain called the media prefrontal cortex and the anterior insula. Now, both of these areas have previously been linked to cognitive dissonance. Blimey, you got a tongue around those words. I'm struggling with the concept of cognitive dissonance. Well, cognitive dissonance is a phenomenon where you can hold two conflicting beliefs. For example, you know smoking is bad for your health, yet you smoke. Or someone who places a high value on being kind to the environment buys a new gas-guzzling 4x4. You experience this same cognitive dissonance when agreeing with someone about a subject you privately disagree on. Although agreeing with others can be beneficial in maintaining a healthy relationship, too much conformity can lead you down a bad track. It may encourage people to make decisions that are not in their interests or allow themselves to be dominated in a relationship. So next time someone agrees with you, they may not genuinely believe it. They may just be trying to avoid an awkward situation. 
I reckon that most arguments are best avoided, to be honest. And I think that's what you're saying here. In a technical way, and the studies proved it, don't argue, it's no point. I think that's a good motto to live your life by. Yeah. So like, if all this truth bias and cognitive dissonance has got your head in a spin, don't worry. All the information will be up on the website, letstalkbusinessonline.com, and it makes for some really interesting reading. Okay, I think I'm going to have to go on there and digest it a little bit more. But basically, we've boiled it down into two things. One, we can be 50% more productive by using a stick rather than the carrot. That's right. And that it's best to avoid any argument whatsoever. I would agree with both of those. Fantastic. I love the way we've got an insight into it, though. It's very good indeed. And as you say, stuff up on the website, letstalkbusinessonline.com. Thanks a lot, Josh. Thank you. Over the past couple of years or so, we have built up a colossal amount of information, tips and advice from lots of experts in their fields, all to help you on your road to running a successful business. We want to make this available to as many of you as possible, so we've created dozens and dozens of videos which are now up on our Let's Talk Business YouTube channel. There's links to the Let's Talk Business YouTube channel on our website, of course, but as they say in all good commercials, that's not all. We're saving you the trouble of having to check for updates, all you need to do is pop your email address into the Let's Talk Business website and we'll deliver to your inbox on a Tuesday and Thursday all the latest updates for you. It could not be simpler. I think you'll agree. You're with Alan Coop from Let's Talk Business. Now, how about this? Social proof is used by businesses to prove to us that what we are intending to buy has been validated by others. Now, you may be familiar with Amazon suggestions at the bottom of the screen, which lets you know of other products customers have purchased. But new research has shown we are more persuaded, though, by what others like and intend to buy it rather than what they've actually bought. This is a bit like going to the restaurant. You've been here, I'm sure, before, and choosing the same meal as the people that you're with. How many times has this happened to you? I think we're going to go with the roast. Yes, me too. Oh, I'll have one of those. Well, that's three roasts, waiter. It happens, doesn't it? The researchers from the University of Florida and Chicago tested this online too. It was found that people were more persuaded to watch a YouTube video which had 200,000 likes rather than 200,000 views. So the likes trumped the views. They ran a similar test on, would you believe it, Amazon's puddings. Again, the number of purchases of the pudding were less persuasive to future customers than the number of likes, even if those numbers were actually the same. So, what does this tell us apart from we are very strange creatures? Although the researchers advocate a bit of caution, it clearly means that businesses don't need to have as many customers purchasing products and giving reviews as they have people who like their business, even though those people may not have ever purchased anything from them at all. Now, this same idea should work for community groups, from knitting circles to amateur erratics. For it to be a success, you don't need people to turn up. You just need them to say that they like the idea. There's more information on this on our website, letstalkbusinessonline.com. And I've even put a link to the original research paper, which has a little bit more in depth, of course, as you might expect. Now, that is it for this programme. It's been a fascinating show, isn't it? I hope you agree. It's been great having you here for the last almost half an hour. We are online. You can find us at letstalkbusinessonline.com. And when you go over there, you'll find many of the podcasts. In fact, there's 170-something of them right now up on our website. Now, 
if podcasts are your thing, we're also on iTunes. All you need to do is go over to iTunes and type in Let's Talk Business and you can download this program as a podcast and, as I say, many of the others too. If you want to find out more about our startup series, the video series, again, that's up on our website, letstalkbusinessonline.com. It'd be great to hear from you. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn. On Twitter, we're at LTB Show, at LTB Show. I'm also on Twitter. You can find me at The Alan Coote. This program was edited by Sean Burns, and it's a Monogram Media production. We'll see you next time. Bye.